0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Talking Serverless podcast. This is your host, Joshua Proto, and I am super super excited to welcome back one of my favorite guests that we've interviewed, Anthony Campolo. Anthony Campolo is a developer advocate for Step Zen and Redwood They are the host of the FS Jam podcast and an open a great open source supporter, and I'm just super happy to have you back on. I know I really enjoyed our conversation last time, so thanks so much for taking the time to uh, meet with us.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm really excited. I very much enjoyed our last conversation as well. We hit on so many interesting topics that I'm really passionate about and that we'll get to expand upon in in this episode. So yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. You're very, very welcome. You're very welcome. I know, um, you know, last time we talked so much about Redwood JS and sort of like maybe the state of open source and getting involved in in open source. And, you know, since then I have uh sort of experimented and dabbled with a couple more open source open source projects more on the more on I'd say the blockchain side than the uh than the serverless Ooh, side. Really. Uh I have some friends I, who are
1: getting into blockchain as well. So I'll be curious to hear about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, totally. And I've been seeing like you know, certain parts of these this blockchain world is starting to embrace like serverless and embracing like GraphQL. And so when I saw that you're now doing oh, yeah. this advocacy work for StepZen and how it's leveraging GraphQL, I'd love to hear, I don't know too much about it. I would love to learn a little bit more about StepZen. Like why is it valuable? And like, how is it using GraphQL? Like what's going on here? Absolutely. It's how I
1: would describe it, if you want to be descriptive about it, it's a managed GraphQL API gateway, that's essentially what it gets you. So it makes it really easy just to spin up a GraphQL server so you can just get up there, have an endpoint so that you can hit it and that you can do anything you want with it. But on top of that, it also lets you stitch different backends and different data types together into your one unified schema so it's kind of like this this really cool tool for integrating different pieces together which is why the, the blockchain graphql stuff is really interesting it's the same idea of we have all these different chains all trying to talk to each other it's kind like a mesh like thing so it's a tool that leverages graphql in a way that also gives you a nice CLI with this whole deployment thing built in. So they're also hosting that API for you as well. So there's other kind of like open source projects that are doing things like this, like GraphQL mesh, but you would have to like run that yourself. Whereas this is like, not only do they have this whole thing built out, but you also can get your endpoint up and just like have a whole project going really quickly.
0: Fantastic. That sounds like super, super useful. Is there any like, I don't know, like current projects that, have been sort of, I don't know, sort of like Keystone, Keystone moments, or like Keystone use cases. Is it a lot of blockchain or is it, you know, just a variety of use cases right now? Not blockchain, it's more in the Jamstack
1: and kind of React front end area right now. And it's about getting these different backends, whether it's like, you know, Shopify or Airtable, or, you know, these different kind of like e-commerce things and headless CMSs and how do you you stitch that all together? One thing that is like unified for your front end. And it's really interesting because that's a lot what Redwood was. We were talking about Redwood in our previous episode. And for anyone who hasn't heard that one, Redwood is a React framework that also has a GraphQL kind of middle layer that lets your front end and your back end talk to each other. So I had been doing work with Redwood. And then Anat, who's the CEO of StepZen, kind of saw what I was doing and reached out to me. And it's it's been really cool because, like, when I first talked to you, like, I didn't even have a job. Like, <laughs> I was still, like, just coming out of my boot camp and, like, doing all this and, and trying to make it in this whole thing. And, um, like, it all, it all paid off. <laughs> and so, because one of the things you had asked me in a previous episode was, like, what I'd gotten out of of open source like whether it was worth it or not. And I said how, for me, it paid off 100%, 100%, like, you know, a million times. And so, but but there was a lot of alternative realities where it couldn't have necessarily worked out that well. So in many ways, I'm very lucky that it worked out the way it did. But it's been a way to kind of expand out, for me, all this other stuff that's happening in the GraphQL ecosystem because Redwood is opinionated. It gives you a whole stack of all the pieces you need to have a full stack actual project and it just like gives you that so you can just kind of take it and run with it and not think about it too much <laughs> and that's really really nice but at the same time then you have a hard time actually kind of grokking, like okay but, like what is the difference between Apollo and Urkel like <laughs> that's a really hard question to answer actually and you have to really kind of dig into this stuff to start to understand it so yes yeah, that's, that's what I've been kind of working on and getting spun up with over the last couple months and doing a similar thing to what I did with Redwood to build out projects and then i'll blog about it and i'll do live streams about it and i'll go do podcast interviews about it and so now i'm kind of had my like i i can understand steps and now i can kind of build with it now i can kind of got communicate with it and then now start dialoguing with people about it and see like does it make sense to them like what are they looking to get out of it and, and all that kind of stuff
0: wow fantastic i love to. you're super happy to hear that you know what is it you know if if working in open source was like already had 100% you know return for your time then now it's like maybe 200% or even more so great to see that you know it really pays dividends and you know what is it sort of a a saying that i i definitely i think believe to be true is like to to the degree that we can Create our own future. We don't need to predict it. And you know, open source is really interesting because there's a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, sort of create the features or create the future of the projects that you're working on. And it definitely seems like you know, uh, if you can demonstrate your ability to do that, then hey, you know, the world is your oyster in that sort of way. So really interesting to see just how um, you know, like uh, Redwood is sort of leveraging like GraphQL and, and working working around that. What do you think is sort of the like what Was Redwood always sort of going in this direction? Do you think that, you know, yeah, I think like, was Redwood always going into this direction and what's sort of like, like next, like, what do you, what are some exciting things going on with Redwood that you're looking forward to?
1: Yeah, Redwood was originally architected for GraphQL and having worked with Redwood is what set me up really well to kind of get what was happening with StepZen because The GraphQL is a spec. So for for people who've never kind of gotten the, the whole GraphQL 101, it's a query language for APIs, and it's a way for your front end to talk to your back end. And the way you do that is basically just like by throwing kind of what looks like JSON kind of objects back and forth. If you just imagine a JSON object with just the keys, it's like key value pair, just the keys, not the values. So you say you want person, and then you want their name, and then you'll get back name, like Josh, And that's kind of what uh, the the query response is. And that's like, it's the whole deal. (laughs) It's it's very, very simple. But then you can also do mutations as well. So you can do the whole create, read, update, delete, all combined within this this query language. And so for Redwood, that query language is how your React front-end talks to your your back-end, like via Prisma. That's like a kind of step in the chain, but still GraphQL is kind of what gets you from the front all the way to, to the back. And this is because Tom and Peter created Redwood based on their experience building Chatterbug, which was a language learning platform that involved a React front-end speaking GraphQL to a Rails back-end. And so they kind of wanted to build a framework that would be better integrated for these kind of technologies. But what it doesn't really do is it doesn't let you reach out beyond itself. Like Redwood is very self-contained. It's like a full-stack framework. It's the whole idea. It's like a Ruby on Rails kind of thing. But part of this whole Jamstack idea is how do we pull in other APIs to do all this other stuff and create all this other functionality. And so that's where something like Stepsend comes in because you get this gateway that then becomes another step in the chain. So your front end can speak, your Redwood front end can speak to it, the back end of the Redwood API. And that API can talk to your Stepsend API. And that API can talk to like all this other stuff. So it opens you up to this wider world of possibilities of what you can do with a Redwood app in the sense that you as a railroad developer could not just write all that logic to translate like all these different REST APIs into a GraphQL schema. Like that's just not a thing that you have the time or that even maybe the experience to do. But that's what you can do with Stepset. It gives you the ability to like write these kind of schemas and then plug in endpoints and do that whole translation.
0: Wow, very cool. I definitely see, you know, in a lot of the world, what is it? In like the cloud services world, you know, sometimes there still are these problems or these these comments about like vendor lock-in and like to which degree are they really a problem and to how, how do you sort of account for that or account for applications that are very tightly coupled to certain ecosystems or tightly coupled and just like certain architectures or the ways of making the projects. And sometimes I think that even expands out to just like who you have working on the projects and like what are everyone's... Uh, Sort of preferences for how they, for how they develop and whatever the develop experience standards that you're sort of setting. So being able to like, I don't know, have like, have your systems be able to play nicely with. What could happen in the future? Because one thing that is like you know we can never predict exactly what's going to happen. So if we have access to uh, you know a whole infinite amount of APIs, and that's that's probably just better for the ecosystem long term anyway. So that's really exciting to see. Because I remember you know hearing from you and seeing a lot of positive things being happening with Web And if you're able to sort of crack that nut, like they seems like they are doing, then you just have way more possibilities as far as like mass adoption, and that's sort of like the one of the golden golden desires of the or open source projects as mass adoption And what's cool is that it
1: can work with anything you want in terms of different front-end technologies. You could use it just as easily with Vue or even Vanilla JavaScript. And so we're going to have a lot of docs with lots and lots of different examples that we're, we're building out right now of all these different ways you can use it so that kind of whoever comes to it will be able to like meet them halfway with whatever tech they already do kind of know because it's a, it's a big ask to, to have someone learn not only graphql but then this tool built on top of it so if you can meet people halfway like all right well if you know react really well that i can get you like halfway there because we have this like react front end that's speaking to all this crazy graphql stuff in the back that we can kind of like set up for you and give you good defaults for and then you can just like write those most of the front end stuff yourself and it's like that's kind of similar idea to what redwood was to to a certain extent so it's it's really cool and it allows us to to think in a similar mindset of like the full stack and the front end and back end how it all how it all fits together into this this kind of you know soup that is fs jam as i like to say full stack jam stack
0: No I love it I like the idea of uh I don't know what which the full stack is like a soup. Um, you know, just like the mesh of interconnect in mesh of interconnectedness. And I think, you know, and instances where I've seen where like like teams are like hyper siloed out, and even when there are people who are responsible for different elements of maybe just like one side of like a traditional back end or a traditional front end, just the disintegration just can like negatively impact projects in every single way imaginable. And I think, you know, you'd even just approaching approaching something that very much is like a soup. And like from the user standpoint, like if you're developing a web app, something complicated, you know, the user ideally is having a seamless experience. They're not seeing everything connect and trace and break down and the fail-safes uh, activating and then rerouting the request and then pulling out a cache someplace and then getting it delivered. So that is a very that's a very interesting point. And I know you were mentioning that there were some what are the new developments with with Gemstack or ways that it was thinking about like leveraging serverless and its serverless components. And, you know, as talking serverless, I know I'm very excited to, to hear a little bit about that uh, or for you to elaborate a bit for everyone listening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like any of these things, since these are all just like APIs that are on the, the open internet, it's very easy to start to stitch them all together with things like, you know, these kind of serverless functions as, as we think of them, like traditionally, like where, where this all kind of started, which is like, you know, Lambda going back to, I just want to be able to write these functions in whatever language I want to write, as long as that language is JavaScript or Python. (laughs) And eventually they added a bunch more languages. But the, the real idea was you want to be able to just write code in the language that makes sense to you and deploy that code to the world. And so you can create, like, you know, Google cloud functions that are going to stitch together different parts of your, of your backend. Now, ideally you shouldn't have to do that. That's the kind of stuff that we're doing to, to make all this, this work in a nice seamless way. So like you don't have to, but if you want to, that's, that's like a thing to do. And I've actually been like going very deep down this rabbit hole because we're in the process of trying to make Redwood as portable as possible. Cause we, everyone talks about vendor lock and all, all the time and whether you're, Thing can kind of work cross-platform, and it was designed for Lambda specifically, AWS Lambda. It's, the idea is that your entire backend API is one giant Lambda function. And some that if you listen to a lot of serverless people, you'll frequently hear them se- specifically tell you not to do this. There's a whole serverless-like guide now that just came out in like the last month on AWS, which is really, really good. And the, there's a whole section called anti-patterns. The first anti-pattern is the Lambda monolith. <laughs> so we are the anti-pattern <laughs> when it comes to serverless. Like we are the embodiment of the anti-pattern, but it works. And <laughs> like, to the extent of like, you put that sucker online hit it, and it's going to give you information back. But the you eventually hit a point where you need to start breaking it off into these smaller pieces to, to actually get it to work the way serverless is supposed to work as your listeners, <laughs> as serverless people probably, probably know. But there is a strange tension between first off the different types of javascript you're writing either the different types of node you're writing so if you think about lambda versus azure versus google they're all giving you basically node and they all have been like at different levels of node 10 or 12 or or 14 and kind of getting further and further with that and they have slightly different semantics in terms of, like what they pass in like context object versus like event object versus callback object and, and how you actually deal with the requests and responses because with google like you actually just kind of bring in express like that's, they literally just give you express and that's not exactly what you get from from the other ones and then there's the the next level then is in cloudflare because cloudflare doesn't give you node at all period there's no node and this can confuse people because it's running on V8, so people hear, oh, it's running on V8. Node runs on V8, so that means you can run Node on Cloudflare. I was like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> it's They took the thing that Node is built with, and it built another thing. So that's why you can write JavaScript that's going to be agnostic to any of that stuff if you want to use something like like Cloud, Cloudflare workers. So yeah, there's, just, there's a lot of layers to this, and it's all very baked into... The kind of progression of javascript the language and node and esm and like all all this kind of stuff and um yeah it's interesting and very confusing for people
0: (laughs) no i think it's i think it's really interesting like what you were talking about maybe i'm not fully understanding but around like what what is it the phrase that you said that i'm hearing a lot is like you know being able to write your your code however you're writing it sort of like language agnostically and then getting it just to work with your system and i think you know you know i see that maybe as like i would say as far as like trends are going i think that's a trend that i'm seeing more more talked about uh that being said i think you know i'm operating in a space where that that generally isn't as much of an option or at least the way things are things are done with the number of of clients that I'm working with at the moment, uh, that serverless guru is working with, you know, we don't necessarily have those options, even though it would be nice. And so I'm wondering just sort of uh I don't know, what sort of challenges are you are you seeing with like how that actually gets uh does that break down? Like is there a point to where um like under the hood that sounds that sounds fantastic. I wish I could do that. Uh and that and that's sort of like I wish and you know, I hope to travel again one day. And if I could, you know. Do that as well, just in real life. You know that would be amazing. But you know, I can't Google, I can't speak into Google Translate uh, in front of people and then show them my phone. They'll think I'm weird. Uh, so there's like a human disconnect there. But as far as like under the hood, is there like what are the challenges in doing something like that?
1: Yeah, I can tell you specifically where it breaks. It breaks at Apollo server. So Apollo server Lambda is where the actual functions API thingy majig is being deployed. And traditionally, what has happened is it gets deployed on Netlify, and Netlify is running your lambdas under the hood for you. They call them Netlify functions. Netlify functions are lambdas for anyone who doesn't know, and that is what you would originally do. But you can't—that's you can't plug and play that with Azure. And so I know this because I'm working with uh, Thomas, who is a Microsoft employee on this right now, and we are basically having to entirely extract out <laughs> Apollo. The server. And there's a very, very interesting project right now called GraphQL Helix from the guild that is potentially going to have an integration with Redwood support. Where you can make the server swappable because we made Apollo client swappable uh, back in like January. And this became really incredible things that allowed us to have a react query provider. So for people who don't know all this kind of like front end react kind of kind of stuff, react query is a data fetching library for React. So just like hitting an endpoint doing a query and getting, getting data back and the handling all this kind of cache stuff that, that goes along with it. It's by Tanner Lindsley and it's like massively popular right now in the, in the React world. And so Apollo Client is how we handle the stuff that they would do that React Query does and then you just have to figure out how do you want to handle the actual GraphQL calls themselves. So what you do is you have React query with GraphQL request, which is a lightweight GraphQL client. and Then you put them together and then you swap out Apollo for that. And then you have your Redwood now has decoupled out the Apollo client. So we're getting close to point where you can do the same thing with the server. And that's hopefully going to allow us to then be able to plug and play this into all these different deploy targets in a simpler way. So we don't have to rewrite the API for every single deploy target.
0: Yeah, that would be no bueno. Definitely, that is not a. It's you know, if in a world infinite time, it could be fine. What's the uh, what's the timeline for this on the roadmap? Like, this seems like uh, it would be very very helpful.
1: Yeah, right now the kind of Azure stuff, and then even further out the Cloudflare stuff is not on the the V one roadmap. This is the kind of stuff that I am self directedly doing because I find the stuff really interesting, and I know people who can who can help with it and. This stuff all requires kind of like integration between, it requires expertise on, on both ends to, to make work. But um, the render stuff is what people should really be looking at, because that is shipped and that is like good to go and is really going to be one of the, the best ways to actually deploy these kind of apps. Because what render has is, it's kind of like a, a Heroku for people who haven't used it. If you also then get a lot of that nice kind of front endy Netlify static hosting type stuff, as well so it's very uh, just like full stack you get all, all the kind of stuff you want and then you can build your whole project together because that's been the problem in the past is we would deploy the front end on something like a Netlify or a Vercel and you grab a database environment variable for somewhere like a Heroku or like a Railway whereas now on Render you can actually host the full stacking tower entire app on Render specifically so it's like Again, get back, I see like, ultimate vendor lock-in, but if you're okay with like going in on this one platform, or, like it's really it's ha- like a really, really nice integrated experience and your your code doesn't have to change at all. Like it's it because once you actually figure out the build process, that's that's the thing, is like cause you don't have to like rewrite the, the API because it's just all all these different hosting providers just have ways of like building your assets and sending it to them. And it's just kind of like you have to figure out exactly how their system wants you to get those assets. To them, so that they can get onto the internet. There's like some weird kind of translations. that will do it a little bit differently, and all the frameworks do it a little bit differently, also. So it's it's kind of a everyone's kind of trying to align on on how, how we actually want to do this and what's the the best way to do this. And so there's just like there's so many things happening uh, around there. But for for us on like V1, it's just about really like making sure that the framework itself is is solid, which means things like full TypeScript support. And things like accessibility features baked in, which we have gotten in recently, of things like the route announcement, which actually Next ended up adding a couple a little bit after, and which is great because we Dom was looking at his his work on that, and so it's really really cool to see all the actual pieces of the framework come together. And then there's going to be a big push for like a more integrated tooling kind of experience with like a VS Code plugin and stuff like that. So there's going to be really, really nice deploy targets and really, really nice features in the framework and getting it stable before V1. That's pretty much like where we're at right now. And hopefully, gonna be soon. So
0: <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit about um, sort of like the, the accessibility features or your accessibility issues and like your your approach, just a Redwood's approach. To, you know, how, how to sort of solve for that, because it's such a, a, you know, it's a, you know, accessibility is such an important thing to be designing for and like you know accessibility means 100 percent. it's and sometimes you know i don't know i've seen on twitter i've seen places and they're like well should we really be like uh i don't know designing for such like a small like a percentage of population or potential users or use cases um but you know true sex true accessibility means 100 percent of the people can use it it's not only for like two percent or whatever, whatever the numbers is. And I'm just interested to hear like how does this project like approach this very, very complicated, difficult topic? Like this is uh this is a problem that, you know, even like the Microsoft's and Googles of the world spend a lot of time and a lot of money thinking about.
1: Yeah, definitely. And anyone who says you don't need to think about this is not legally on good footing, I think, with that, and or or morally in my opinion. So it's not something you could just choose to not think about. And this has been a huge priority for Redwood. And this is all credit to, to Dominic, Dom, Sadie, he has really spearheaded this work and what's cool is we did a whole stream with Ben Myers on the semantics stream and we walked through what we kind of did here, what Dom did here, and it's about the, the router and about how single page applications work at a kind of fundamental level. Cause if you don't kind of know the difference between like an old school server rendered kind of rails thing versus a current JavaScript thing, the main thing is like, does all the code live on the server? Does all the code live on the client, like in the front end? So if all the code lives in the server, like a rails, you generate just a whole bunch of HTML and kind of throw it over the wire versus with something like Redwood or these single page applications, you have a a bundle of JavaScript that is like the logic and the, the website itself and you you open that up and as you click links you're not sending another request back to the server to get a new page because if you're navigating around different pages it's different html you're hitting the server each time to get those pages to navigate but that's not how this works the single page applications you get a whole bunch of stuff and when you click links javascript is being executed in your browser to navigate (laughs) and if you start doing that it Breaks a lot of assumptions of how the web works and how screen readers need to interpret the what your site is doing, and the problem was it came down is actually very simple: is that when you would click a link, it wouldn't know that you would navigate, so it wouldn't be able to announce that you navigate away from the page. So if you wanted to go to your contact page and you hit contact, you, if you have a screen reader, when you navigate to a page, it'll like to say what the thing is like, so you know because you're, you're you can't, you can't see, it, you're listening to it. And so what we had to do is we basically had to hack it into Redwood so that it would basically look at the page, find an H1, and then make that the the just make that the the title. So it was and then to announce it. So it's like it's a, a route announcement component, and this was based on work from uh, the Gatsby team and Marcy Sutton, especially who had been researching this and trying to figure out how to make Gatsby's router accessible. So there's uh, like a lot of research behind this. It's like very, very niche, deep, technical specific problem. But um, this is why we want to solve it at the framework level because like having every single developer have to like figure out how to do this themselves just doesn't make any sense. We can leverage the fact that we're framework with opinions. We can make in accessible opinions. That's a huge win for everybody.
0: A billion percent. I think a billion percent agree with with the last statement and, you know, like really like good on you for good on the whole team and the whole thing, you know, definitely has my stamp of approval as far as, you know, procedurally figuring out like, well, what is the best way looking at the research? And and you know really solving like a real need like through through like software and through technology and I think you know if we're not doing very good things with you know all the technology that we have then it's uh, you know we're we're missing we uh you know we could just be doing more we could be we could be helping a hundred percent if we just think about it and um, you know we're gonna be working hard and it's gonna be challenging uh to complete it anyway so it might as well also um just benefit the most people so it's very very interesting there and I think. That is that thought. <laughs> yeah, there's a,
1: a lot kind of to, to dig in there in terms of how you how you think about this in terms of, you know, is it is it 100% are you accessible or not kind of question. And Ben, going back to the semantic stream, he was on FSGM just a, a couple of days ago, actually his, his episode aired, and we had a whole episode about accessibility and, and talked about this very in-depth, if anyone is, is curious. And there's a lot of downstream effects that are really nice from thinking about designing for accessibility, that is good for everyone, but he, he really stressed what, and what I really appreciate is that you, you can't ever de the disabled person's experience in this topic, is that, like, that is the point of making it accessible, and so, yeah, like, that's just, that's just kind of what it comes down to, and so it, it requires dialogue with people who use these technologies, and using them yourself to understand how they actually work, and, like, what are the implications of your software, what, when, when these, piece of the technology being used
0: completely i remember i had a i have a colleague that i've done some nonprofit work with and uh, they sat down and they're like uh josh this is what it's like for me to be with my screen reader and they i remember they showed me between like you know just like a, a font like a decent website and then like a really shitty application or you know i don't know if i can say it on the podcast you know maybe we'll bleep that out on a very you know terrible version of a, of a of a website and it was really shocking to me to experience it firsthand like oh wow um and they're like you know this is about maybe 70 80 percent of my experience is the bad experience when i'm trying just to do things and, but i've learned to cope with it and um i think it, like you like like you like you mentioned and i definitely want to f- listen to that podcast like these de- like centering that ex- centering that experience is uh, just like Sort of the benchmark, and if you have that benchmark, uh, then I can really understand how you're able to, I don't know, hit those just hit those marks and make really good design decisions based off of like you know, you know what is it like whether it's like in the marketing or the product world, like you know your customer avatar or your like your you know your user story, like really getting deep into the demographic, psychographic, lived experience graphic of those individuals, and ultimately you're gonna make a better product or you're gonna make a better you know, application at the at the end of the day. So, I think it's really a win-win. Uh, it's just people need to think about it long enough in order to discover, like, yes, this is the right choice. Because I think, you know, one thing that I'm always listening to our consultants talk about with clients and always something we're always going back to in the consulting world is, you know, well, what's your end goal? Like, making sure that clients just have, like, a really good understanding, especially if they're coming to us and they're like, you know, we're on Lotus servers, and we want to go serverless. Or it's like, we have no experience, and we need to do this lift. What should our milestones be? And how are we measuring success? Uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, thankfully, you know, there's a lot of great talent on our team, and we know so much about serverless. So it's, those things are always sort of self-evident. Like once we get in there and start developing, like if the skill set is there, then you're able to see those, uh, see those results real quickly um uh, because its technology like the fundamentals are better than the last system ideally and so you're going to have a better product but having a, like a strong north star vision i think is essential to the success of these things and it sounds like redwood you know really is developing with that which is really exciting i can't think of many other frameworks or programs that are really featuring it in that way
1: yeah totally something else that we can uh get into as well would be so we talked about meta frameworks last time right the and we were using that term for things like Redwood because Redwood is built on React and there's AWS meta frameworks and so that's why you got it like you you understood what a meta framework was because you would use like the serverless framework you know like serverless framework is is a meta framework you know it's a different kind of meta framework but it's the same idea and so I've been playing around with a lot of these kind of things and the main one's being um CDK and Sam, the serverless application model and the cloud development kit. And what's I find really interesting is that these two could potentially merge into a super tool in, in some way. They're, they're starting to integrate with each other. And I think that's really cool because that's not something that like a redwood and blitz could do. Like I'm I'm very into like all these different kinds of projects, like collaborating and communicating and talking about this stuff. Like there's really like there's no way to make those two things work together because like defeats the whole purpose. Whereas what's cool about sam and cdk and all these kind of things that it's you also get a really nice integration with the infra itself because you're you're getting all of this like cloud formation handled for you under under the hood and this is where redwood has run into a lot of problems is that we haven't had a deterministic build because we've had this like crazy yarn mono repo setup we have these different you have a package.json for your web and a package.json for your API, so you had to figure out how you copy both of those and then build them both, and it's just like a huge, ridiculous pain. And so by having all that of setup with your info as code, it's like makes it much easier to just do that. So I'm looking at now these different kind of options and Amplify being a, another one. And I find that they each come at it from a different angle. CDK, it's you write code like in JavaScript or Python or TypeScript or something like that. And so that's the way you like think about your application. It's like a code first thing. And so it's imperative. And then SAM, the service application model, it's from the infra layer. So it's instead of you, you're starting from thinking about code, you're starting to think about like YAML and you're, you're like your configuration is, is deterministic instead of it or it's, um, it's declarative instead of imperative and it's deterministic instead of undeterministic. And so, but both of them are still, you're still deploying these full stack things with code. And it's just about like, where are you writing all that code? Like where are you centering it, and how how are you thinking about it? how do you want to structure it? And then amplify thinks about it from an app level, thinks about okay, what's your auth, what's your storage, what's like your that kind of stuff. And so they and that's why there are three of these things, and they're and they're all meant they're all meant to give you a single nice integrated experience on AWS, but they all have a different idea of how you should do that and what you should kind of focus on, what you should optimize around. And so yeah, I've been kind of just like building a little proof of concepts like all those and it's a great way to get into like cloud formation because it generates cloud formation for you and it lets you write like a nicer kind of syntax that makes sense so you just kind of like a weighing to so you like kind of write stuff that makes sense and then it generates and you look at it like okay i think i get it <laughs> and then rinse and repeat and before you know you're reading cloud formation like is you born reading it
0: you know, absolutely. I, that's definitely one of the benefits of those tools is it lets you just sort of like, teach not like teach yourself, but like familiarize yourself around like a theory of best practice around like, how do I write this thing? Um, and I think, you know, that's always like a huge challenge, especially if you're trying to roll out those sort of skills, like at a team level and everyone has different levels of familiarity. But if you're able to work off of a common like a common style of doing something, uh, then you're just going to go a lot faster. And then that way you're not, you know, you're not trying to mix, uh, you know, mix preferences between different team members or mix, mix idiosyncrasies, which may or may not make sense down the line, especially if, or that whole team of, you know, two people decide to leave the company and then they're like, we're stuck with this thing that wasn't even wr- written standardly. What do we even do? Um, uh, and so, yeah, so that that's a problem that like definitely want to avoid. And in different conversations I've had with people in the in the serverless space and at the like the framework level, I think you know we're moving towards a way towards a direction of figuring out uh, you know well what is the best practice that we want to you know say is like the best practice or ones that we want to uh, continue to multiply uh, within the industry and the space and sort of set like this is this version of writing I and mean, i'm very
1: curious to ask you so someone comes to you they say um i'm building a stack on aws it's all on aws how do i how do i build that should i use the serverless framework should i use some like sam should i roll it all myself how how would i think about that and they just give you like that blanket question
0: yeah that's that's a challenging that's a that can be a challenging question um in in the past and i would say you know currently like 9 times out of 10 we are most likely going to say uh like serverless framework is the way to go just because it is because there's so much i think one thing that we like about it so much as serverless grew is just like the third party application like the plugins and the support uh around around that and we're able to just sort of leverage everyone else's use for our own use cases um in that sort of way however there are certain fringe cases i would say in languages that maybe like aren't as supported like you know like oh you, there, There's hard requirements from the client to where, you know, this is all in C sharp, or this is all in, uh, you know, Java or something, it may be, you know, you're sort of at a point where okay, it's not all things being equal. Um, who has like the best support for these use cases I'm trying to do with this language. Uh and then at those times it's like oh we should use sam or oh we should use something else. I think uh, I think there's more there's getting to be like more competition and there's a lot of really great uh ways to sort of handle handle like deployment now which maybe wasn't the case um which maybe wasn't the case or was something that I personally wasn't as familiar with. And so I think that extra, like whether it's like serverless framework or like art codes or Sam, or, you know, just using CD, CDK. I remember we did a poll uh, on talking serverless a while ago. And it was like, what's your most popular frameworks that you like to use? And like serverless framework, was big, but like ARC codes was like, was high up there. A lot of people- Yeah, shout were... out to
1: ARC. ARC is, is really cool. I've yeah. messed around a little bit with ARC and BEGIN. And for me, I wanna like, just take BEGIN out of the question, play more with just ARC, because it's going back to the abstractions on cloud formation. like that's as abstract as it's gonna get. It's like, I'm gonna make a cloud formation like six words. <laughs> so I think that's a really cool idea.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's really innovative and really cool and I'm excited to see just like, you know, what happens. So, if people don't know about them, certainly check it out. Um just a, just a question that, you know, I think we've been, we've been getting more from the consulting side or around the idea of like, like partners and partnerships had to do with, uh, like trying to figure out, well, how do you, how do I decide to use like one service versus another? And, you know, as a consultancy, I think ultimately, we, uh, from, from my position, we have to do what's in the client's best interest. And that's always what we're always, uh, that's what we're always standing by and trying to give the best understanding, like what's their end in mind, what's their goal, both like Institutionally, the business goal, as well as the departmental team goals, because those can all they're all related, but they're measured differently. That's how I would describe it. And just making sure that we're giving them a solution that that can best get them there uh, with like as little roadblocks or imagine roadblocks as possible. Uh, and so there's situations where there may be like very niche tools, but for the speed that we need to move or the speed that we need to move as safely as possible, we sort of can't use, um, you know, maybe like the newest, the newest sort of thing, or um, it, it could, it works in one instance, but as far as, you know, can we guarantee this will be around in 10 years, like Amazon in some way, shape or form, probably AWS, you know, AWS, Google, Azure, they're going to, they're going to be around in some way, shape, or form because uh, a lot of these companies are looking to make their next 10 to 30 year decision. And so they're not as able to, to pivot from that sort of conversation. So uh, we like to take all those things into account when recommending like, oh, train your whole team on SAM or train your whole team in a in serverless framework.
1: Yeah, I think you want to train your team in enough nothing to know at the base layer to any of those frameworks because ultimately most of them are all doing doing the same thing at, at the end of the day. So once you kind of understand what the actual infra underneath is, and you've like through the pain of clicking around an AWS dashboard to set it up and then have someone give you like a whole just line of code or just file of lines and lines of code, like, here it is. Then you just run a command, you do it. Once you have that experience, you're just like, ah, I'm sold, like never again. And then you you then you have to look at though as you say. How long has this thing been around for? How stable is it going to be? How similar or different is it from other things around it? And I usually think going with, if you need to give a default answer, you, you should go with you around the longest is the most stable and is the least likely to break and, and change. But there's also the question I think of, this is an app that's going to live on, you know? And so who is who is inheriting this app? Where are they coming from? Like, How would they think about it? And what would be the tool that would make the most sense for them, especially as we get in this world where you can write any language you want in these things, because we're at the point now where most of these like kind of serverless runtimes have like really good support for JavaScript and Python first off, those always gonna be the first two. And then you get kind of Ruby and like PHP is the next two kind of like dynamic languages, and then Java and net and Go for kind of like your, your static languages. But with things like WebAssembly, we're eventually gonna be able to write any language we want ever, everywhere. And like, I don't think that's like super close. I guess it's still quite a few years off. But um, that's that's where this is going. And so you're it's gonna get back at this question of like polyglot programming and this huge like mo- microservice sprawl and all this all this different stuff. So coming from Redwood, I like conventions. I like having opinions. So this all those things are to me are are good things, and you have to be aware of what the different sets of opinions are at least available to you. So you can weigh them against each other. And then if you do decide you to build your own thing, then you can do that and build your own thing, but you can't do that until you evaluate the other options first.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, if one can understand sort of like whatever bias or assumptions are baked into so like the decisions at the front end and, you know, that having that documented, uh, so everyone knows rather than, you know, I've been sent some documents around, and all some people are thinking about like, "Oh, we want to use this framework," and then it's like, these are the like the meeting notes from that, and then you read, it and it's like, "This person says, we need to use Sam. Everyone else agreed." to five other lines of conversation someone asks well why do we use sam and then it's just like because it's the best and then it's like okay and then it's like that's the reason why and it's like who knows why they that person thought that that was the right decision and in that case you know maybe maybe it was like i'm not saying uh like it was or wasn't but um i can't remember in that instance but it's you know making sure that like the paper trail of ideas exists effectively uh, that's only going to help people down the line to where it's like, Oh, why did we decide to use this Java Lambda? Uh, it's like, Oh, because uh, it, we just gave this project to the Java developer and they made it work. And it's like, everything else is written, you know, in like, no, or it's like, we're using Python instead. So it's good to, it's good to under have those solid foundations. Um, you know, another thing on the topic of uh, uh, like teaching and like educating and educating teams, you know, I saw on your, uh, on your Twitter profile, uh, you added like another thing as like uh Lambda school dropout and uh, server, serverless guru is very, uh, what is it? I think we've been contemplating a lot about like the state of serverless education uh, and just the state of like educating the next generation of like devs or the next generation of like, technology of like technology builders and uh, i'd love to get your thoughts around like i don't know in far as far as like i don't know i remember several years ago maybe like maybe it was last year before coronavirus or a little bit before that i remember seeing this headline that said um, like there's a developer bubble from all these code schools and they'll never be able to find jobs you should just never go to code school ever again and you know now there's like a there's like a hiring recession I've seen on LinkedIn. That's what they say. There isn't like enough people who have the technical skills to do these jobs. So I'm wondering, you know, what is the state of like, you know, technology builder education and like, uh, as far like, is there a future for code schools? Is there a code school model that you think will be the best or I don't know. I'm interested in your thoughts.
1: Yeah. The, the Lambda school dropout thing, it's, it's, I'm trying to capture the nuance that that exists with, inherent to this conversation which is that it is in one sense an endorsement of lambda because i'm saying hey i went to lambda i'm like branding myself along with lambda but it's also like why would you drop out though this school is so great shouldn't you have like graduated (laughs) and that's the thing is that there's no simple answer to is this like a quote unquote like good boot camp in terms of like will you definitely get a job you can ask is this a good boot camp in terms of curriculum in terms of like how the assignments are structured in terms of what's the the payment structure like so you have to you have to ask those questions first of all and lambda has been in the news recently for people who follow like niche silicon valley kind of kind of news for having like a round of layoffs and so lots of people have been asking me about it like to comment on it and it's i think it's comes down to the churn inherent to what they're trying to do because they're offering this this platform for anyone to come in and literally just show up on day one and just start doing it without paying a single dollar. And they don't, not, don't have to give you any money whatsoever. And it's a crazy thing <laughs> that that's something that can exist and people can have access to it. And um, that's great, but that's hard. Like, <laughs> that's not something that aligns with the way we, we usually think about this kind of stuff. And just teaching people to code in general is, is really, really hard and requires a lot of time and like it just requires being a specific kind of like personality but anyone who wants like really put in the time and effort to do it i think can but the problem is most people get into it not really knowing what it's gonna be they just like like computers are cool and like it's getting paid super well and like people don't necessarily get the best information about these programs beforehand so that's why i try to really capture the nuance of like for me going to Lambda was a positive thing. It, it helped me get to where I needed to be to contribute to Redwood. But Lambda didn't really get me a job. Like, Redwood got me a job. And the reason why I, that happened is because I essentially dropped out of Lambda to do Redwood instead. Like, I like ran away and joined the circuses is, is what I did. And that's the kind of thing that, at the time, like, you can't say whether that was a good decision or not until it, like, had already worked out months down the line, you know? So you want to just talk to students who've actually gone to the school and talk to people who've taught at the school if you really want to kind of get a take on this. So Dustin Myers was one of my teachers who had been laid off in this round and he was bummed out, but he left saying that he thought his experience at Lambda had been great and that Lambda was doing amazing work and that he was fully in support of what they're, what they're still doing. And I think that speaks a lot to, to Lambda and what they've built and the, the amount of people they have helped. And like in Redwood, like we interact with people from Lambda all the time. They hack on stuff with Redwood. That's super cool. And yeah, so Lambda is awesome. Don't trust like these really bad kind of like media hit pieces written about them. They're not perfect. So getting back to why I think layoffs happen, I think it's because there's a lot of churn in the program. And so they try new programs. Sometimes that really works. So you have to get rid of them and try newer programs. They're trying a newer program that could be amazing. It's going to be a more back end heavy, AWS DevOps heavy, integrated program where they're going to learn how to work with AWS. <laughs> so that could be incredible. And it's hard because then they also have, they have so much funding. It's like millions and millions and millions of dollars. So it's just like, just a lot of activity happening around it. <laughs> and it's hard to, to kind of get a handle on it. But um, one of my good friends is, is going there right now, actually, who I know back from when we were both music majors together. And so, he, and so he obviously asked me about it, asked me about my experience. And if, you know, I think he should do Lambda or not. It was like two months ago. And, and I said, yeah, like for based on your experience, like, I think you would you would thrive in it. And he's been having a ball like he's he's doing great. He's he's having a ton of fun. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of my general take on it there.
0: Oh, completely. You know, with like all education, I think, you know, there is like some truth to like sort of this the axiom of like, you know, you get like what you put in. And I think what is it in like all I think across all industries, whenever you have something like like having a low barrier barrier to entry, it's really fantastic because like it makes it accessible to, to whole groups of people that would never be able to have access to it. Like that's fantastic. Um, though having some barriers, whether it is like, I don't know, like submitting previous work or like making, having applications, it does reduce or it creates like a more sophisticated applicant, not sophisticated in like skill but as far as like understanding that like this is exactly what i want to get into and like this is exactly well, there needs what be a i vetting want
1: process this is actually important you should not go to a bootcamp that does not have some sort of vetting process where you have to do some sort of like exercises with JavaScript or whatever beforehand if they let anyone join just kind of go like that's not that's not good <laughs> like it because you actually need to give someone at least some sort of idea of what they're actually going to be doing so lambda did this and most bootcamps do this where they have you build like a super simple html and css site and then do some JavaScript examples that you have to like run tests against and it's um just like write a function, you know, stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's like the, but that's like the base. That's just like, do you actually want to do this? And like, and if you can't do that, like you don't want, you don't want to do a code school, you know? So, um, but yeah, there has to be at least something like that. But in terms of like it being open to everyone, like accessible to everyone, like that's, that's the thing.
0: I really like, I need to look at this new program because I, I like the idea of having like an integrated, uh, like an integrated process with like AWS. I remember, and i remember like a long time ago i was like given that advice of like oh like because my partner went to uh, code school and like ryan went to code school as well and so like you know i'm 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 around like an ecosystem of people like who are very successful in their tech careers because of like going to code school going to boot camps rather than having like a four-year cs degree and a 2 years master degree and like algorithms that isn't as much my my experience that i've been around so it's uh it's really great to see that like poten- there's this more potential for uh you know using and learning like very modern tools uh, cuz you can do you can do so many innovative things with a knowledge of the AWS ecosystem and I've also been having more conversations with orga- with uh organizations and communities that just um like organize events around like teaching teaching students either in code school or out of code school Several- Serverless Guru recently had their uh, first like real official cohort of serverless interns uh Gosh, who knows? Who knows when it was? I think it was uh, before the end of end of 2020. Time is definitely still blurring together for me. Um, and you know, we got some really good feedback around like, hey, we really enjoyed how you weren't like this was so different. Like you weren't like holding our hands. You were making us sort of look at problems, figure out well this could be a solution to this, and then guiding us around like building it and like learning by doing that and having that experience. Would made them just very very. Uh, successful and very fulfilled right after uh, like more of a traditional code school experience.
1: Well, this is great that you mentioned this actually, because there's this company, MintBean, who the founders I've been good friends with for a while now via Redwood, and they do hackathons, which they also call like learning hacks. And the idea is that people who are kind of right out of code school are still trying to get jobs. It's a way for them to continue to build on those skills and also to work with, like you say, people who are building these things can get some guidance on their projects. And and working with the tech, and then you get such good feedback on like how your docs actually make sense and whether your CLI actually works or not and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's it's huge and the the feedback loop you can get from that is is really incredible. So shout out to MintBean, uh, they're really amazing in doing that exact kind of work.
0: Yeah, recently MintBean's been on our radar, and I think we're really interested in just like learning more about them, what they do, because it seems just very very unique. So cool. awesome you that touch. you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. No, that's rocking. Um and that sort of thing. Now I know we're uh we're cresting up to the to the limit of our time and everything. Um uh, but I don't want to don't want to keep you forever. You know, I know you're probably having like eight different podcasts today. And you know, you got to let the voice rest a bit. Uh but any if anything else that you want to sort of touch on or break. I know we've really painted a great uh stroke, breath stroke, I would say, of just the various topics we've been talking about today.
1: Yeah, say if you're looking for the, the Redwood stuff, that should be all in our kind of last episode that we did and redwoodjs.com has got everything you'll ever need there. And then I'll point people to just stepzen.com. That's where you can find us there and what we're doing. And then yeah, fsjam.org is my podcast as well. So those are all the kind of things I'm doing. And then there's the React Podcast Discord is worth checking out as well and the open Source discord. Those are two other things that are like open source, not in the sense of someone like Redwood where it's like this huge, crazy project, more in the sense of like a bunch of friends getting together and building something for fun and to kind of like hack on something and to like build their skills and then maybe one day for it to be something super awesome one day, but that's been really cool and we've just been learning all this stuff like GitHub Actions and, and stuff like that, so events.lunch.dev is where you can find a lot of that, and yeah, that should be all the all the main stuff, thanks for having me, Josh, I always really enjoy it. our conversations, you are so similar to me and how you think about this kind of stuff but you're in like the serverless world which is great because like we're kind of like to a certain extent not entirely integrated with it we're kind of like built on top of it with with things like redwood but i think that there's like gonna be so many interesting things happening with these types of frameworks and like how they're going to be deployed and how this is all gonna be stitched together with these with these platforms so the the more that people can kind of like talk to each other and collaborate with it and just kind of like wrap our minds around like what this stuff e- even is, is, you know, all for the better.
0: Absolutely. We're on like the, uh, you know, the outer edge of, uh, of the things that are getting built and tested and and created with all this. So it's always exciting to, to talk to someone who's also in the space and spending so much time, like very niched in, into a specific spot. I know what is it on the, on on your podcast, I was listening to the uh, what is it? I think the last one I was listening to was like the was like to fork or not to fork. And I found that really interesting because, you know, I don't know. I I'm not I'm not pushing a ton as much code as as I used to. And so it's like it's, oh like, oh no, if there's forks, maybe it means the project's not so well, good. The context, or like,
1: the context there it's not you're not know, it's not any fork. We're talking about blitz forking next JS, talking about forking the most popular React framework. Like that's like when Node forked, you know. So it's like it's a really exactly. big deal. It's like Ethereum forking.
0: Yeah, no, that is that is intense. I've been I've been going down my own rabbit holes around uh, blockchains and smart contracts, and you know what is is this a soft fork, hard fork? You know X Y Z. You know maybe that'll be uh, you know we'll spend some more time come back in several months. You want
1: F H D to talk about some of that
0: (laughs) potentially potentially. but, you know, I will, I will, I'll I I'll will, have us wrap up here. We'll, we'll, we'll end on a cliffhanger. Uh, thank you so much, Anthony, again. And thank you so much, all the listeners to the Talking Serverless Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the listen and anything that you are wanting to follow up, follow up on. Uh, you can see uh, all the information from these different websites as well as Anthony's handle in the show notes. Uh, have a fantastic rest of your day.